This episode builds on last week with the second major form of attachment styles. Attachment is the emotional bond that characterizes how we relate to people that we love the most. It really is just a scientific word for love. And in this show, we look at avoidant attachment, which is actually my own default or native attachment style. I hope you stay tuned. This whole subject of attachment really gets to the emotional drivers that underlie all of our interactions as couples, even with significant friendships and relationships. And attachment finds its roots in how we were parented as young children. So it is indeed a very fascinating and helpful study to understand this more fully. The Marriage Podcast for Smart People is designed to help busy couples like yourselves move away from conflict and unhappiness to build a marriage you'll love today and treasure for a lifetime. This podcast is made possible by listeners like you. Learn how you can help save marriages, prevent divorces, and keep families intact by going to oyf.support. Once again, that website is oyf.support. And now, here are your hosts, Caleb and Valinda Simone Gundel from Only You Forever. Welcome to the Marriage Podcast for Smart People. If you want to build a thriving, passionate marriage, we've got the research, the truth, and the answers you're looking for. We have another interesting episode for you this week. This is episode number 252, and today we're going to be talking about avoidant attachment. Hey there, before we get started, if you missed our last episode, we discussed anxious attachment in marriage. So it's worth going back and checking out as we introduce the whole subject of attachment at the start of that episode. And this is episode number two in this little mini series here. Also, make sure you hit the subscribe button so you don't miss any upcoming shows from us. We are taking some vacation at the moment, but are glad to have an awesome team who continues to publish these shows while we are away. Yay, team. Speaking of away. Speaking of away, you have the opportunity to go away in February of 2020 on a delightful cruise. Yes. With Caleb and I. ChristianMarriageCruise.com is the website you want to check out. That's our site. That's our cruise. Tell us about the port of Nassau. Did I say that right? I think so. Let's Nassau. Roll it. It's Nassau, I think. Like NASA? Nassau? Nassau. Anyways. I don't actually know. N-A-S-S-A-U. I haven't actually been here yet. Oh. So this is a new experience for me, which so I'm really looking forward to. So what can we anticipate about the port of Nassau or Nassau? Um, so... You can experience sharks at Predator Lagoon if you want to get up close and personal with marine life. I am avoidantly attached to sharks. (laughs) I just avoid them. Forget about attached. Yes. Yes. Or there's a really cool dolphin cay. You can have like a real personal connection with these dolphins at several different experiences you can get there. And it's an accredited marine mammal habitat. It's like a very cool thing. And I'm pretty sure this is the place... Where they leave the gates open and like the dolphins can come and go, oh, but like come back and out of the ocean. Yeah, huh. it's pretty cool. Lots more awesome food. I don't know why I always seem to find the information about food. No, no, it's fine. Just keep <laughs> doing that. That's good. That we go to, but like conch. There's conch fritters and conch chowder and cracked conch and raw conch and huh. yeah. So I'll have to try some of that when we're there. Yeah. Anyways, sounds good. Yeah, Looking sounds kind of cool. That's in the Bahamas, which... Um, Just got nailed by a rather large hurricane. Yes, but this part seems to be in decent shape still. Yeah, we actually have some friends that are there right now. Right now. And uh, the photos look good. <laughs> We're kind of uh, using their holiday to promote our cruise. <laughs> That's terrible. It is terrible. But Anyways, our, we're thankful yeah. that this didn't get demolished, not just because of our cruise coming up, but just... The devastation has been incredible. The, yeah, so yeah. sad. Yeah. Anyways, if you want to come see for yourself all these incredible things that we don't know about yet at Nassau. Departs. February 15th, 2020 from Fort Lauderdale. 
Check us out at christianmarriagecruise.com. Yeah. And as always, if you're struggling with your marriage, we offer sound research-based advice. Most of all, we offer hope. Let's get into the topic of avoidant attachment. It should be interesting because this is the attachment style I came into our marriage with and still struggle with. Mm, interesting. So, yes. So do I get to like pick you apart? And well, just try to be nice to me or else secrets? I will avoid you because I know how to do that. <laughs> when we look at some of the areas that people with attachment style struggle in, you know, it, it is easy to, uh, I'm hopefully not just saying this for my own defense, but it's easy to villainize or exaggerate those interaction styles. So this is, uh, you know, I was thinking this even with regards to the attachment style, like it's not something your spouse does to you. It's something that they've come to the marriage with. But marriage right. is a place that can heal these things and help correct or move them towards a more secure attachment style. Mm-hmm. And so your spouse could be avoidantly attached to you and still be a faithful, committed, reliable person in the marriage, right? Mm-hmm. And so we're going to begin again by looking at the challenges faced in this attachment style. Uh, but we want to encourage pay attention all the way, encourage you to pay attention all the way through this, in particular, the section toward the end on how this develops in childhood. Because like we said, for the anxious style, this you can take this personally, but when you can understand where this comes from, it helps you to approach it more compassionately when you see it in your spouse. Mm-hmm. Yes. I just think it's kind of funny that this is the one that you struggle with. And so you've got all these little caveats. All these disclaimers and <laughs> please be nice to your husband. On the anxious attachment one, you didn't say all these little blips. Yes. Anyhow. So I'm feeling insecure about this. I see. So I'm going to listen compassionately and I'm going to go for understanding. Well, thanks for Linda. Of why you're so messed up. <laughs> <sighs> So what Just do you say you go in for what you need the most? What? I need avoided? No, that's why I went into counseling. Oh, because <laughs> you're married to me. Yeah. Okay. So what does it look like? Well, the first significant sort of default posture of an avoidantly attached person is they avoid needing to, they avoid needing others or mm. depending on others. Yeah. And it could be because they're distrustful of close relationships, or it could be because they're really afraid of relying on anyone else. Okay. And this may be because they don't want the pain of rejection. It may be because they don't want the pressure to reciprocate that level of support because then they'd have to be close to you. Oh. It may be because they've seen conditioned that dependency leads to disappointment. Okay, yeah. So a person with avoiding attachment places a lot of value on independence, on being self-sufficient. And they may consider that to need someone else is to show weakness. So Sometimes they develop this real aura of being the lone wolf or of being very much in their head and working through problems with as much rationality as possible. Hmm. Yes, Ferlinda? That's just very interesting. Isn't it interesting? Isn't it? Yeah. Yes. So how does it work in their brain? Rather. Well, in marriage, it becomes pretty interesting. Let me get a little bit theoretical here in order to understand the deeper part of what's happening. So when a child is with their parent and they hit a moment of threat or uncertainty or distress, their attachment system is activated. Mm -hmm. And what this means is the part of the brain that's responsible for tracking and monitoring the safety and availability of their primary caregiver of their parent is turned on. Okay. So in other words, you know, I'm at the zoo. I'm a little kid. The lion roar just didn't actually happen. This is just an example. The lion roars at me. Mm-hmm. And because I'm little, I can't fully understand the safety of the cage or whatever. So the first thing that they're going to do is try to figure out, is my parent safe and available for me? Can I go to my parent? Okay. Right? When the parent affirms this, the child's brain turns that activation system off. Oh, I don't need to be afraid. Yeah, but it turns off the, the, the part that's also checking is, can my parent respond to me and be available to me right now? that concern is turned off. Okay. Okay. And we'll get into why later, but we, what you need to know for now is that in a person that's developed an avoidant attachment style, they've learned to prevent that attachment system from even activating. 
So the lion roars at me, but I'm not going to go to my parent. They don't let themselves get upset or distressed or needy towards a loving, significant other. Hmm. Now, bringing that back to marriage, an avoidant spouse may do things like averting their gaze from what they consider to be an unpleasant emotion in an attempt to prevent intimacy or connection. They may tune out a conversation related to commitment topics or somehow try to avoid them. They may accuse their spouse of wanting too much from them when the spouse is just kind of asking for a deeper emotional connection, which Mm -hmm. is prompted by the avoidant behavior. Mm, Yes. Okay. They may turn towards busy work in the home or long hours at work when conflict with their spouse threatens their sense of safety in the relationship. They may use sulking or hinting or complaining to seek support from their spouse during a conflict or when in crisis. So instead of coming out and asking for help directly because they need to be independent, they might sulk and hope that you approach Uh, them. Okay, okay. Because it feels less needy for for you to move towards them than for them to vulnerably move towards you. Okay, or to ask for help. Yep. Huh, okay. Even the way I'm talking about this in the third person is avoidant, which is annoying. (laughs) So all this is geared towards keeping that attachment system deactivated. So it's kind of different from from the anxious style in that sense. They'll deny or minimize their vulnerability. They'll use repression as a way to manage emotions that have been aroused. They'll just stuff it down. Hmm, Okay. So they're very independent. Yes. Like, I don't need you. A lot of male church leaders, I think, are avoidantly attached because they have that kind of like out front, lead the pack, don't need anybody, let's get her done. They're driven often. Okay. So because of this not needing others and the fiercely independent coping style that comes with their attachment system deactivated, they're often very independent. Sometimes they'll extend unnecessary boundaries in a marriage, like sleeping in different beds or not sharing information that will be better shared. And again, it's not about an intent to deceive, but it's just the avoidance of an intimate connection. So they'll kind of, they'll keep things to themselves that really would be good to share. Right. Okay. Not because they're trying to cut off their wife or be unkind to them. Disengaged sex might be easier than intimate sex for some. It can be a big deal for them to think about being concerned with their spouse's feelings during or after sex. They can develop habits like making dinner independently after their spouse goes to bed. They may, well, just because like to sit down across from you and eat a meal face to face. Like we don't do this. You know what I mean? But it just shows up in different ways in different marriages. It, okay, Not all okay. avoidant people do all of these things. I, oh, I don't. Okay. That's why I don't do all of these things. They may exaggerate their work schedule rather than simply asking for alone time from their spouse. Mm-hmm. They may say, I love you and mean it, but actually be kind of disconnected or dissociated from the emotion of love. Some avoidants are dissociated from most of their emotions as a way of maintaining emotional distance and not feeling needy. So they avoid their distress by not connecting into what they're feeling. Okay. And again, you can see it it helps or it facilitates their need to feel independent. Because if I'm really in, in touch with the raw stuff, then I need someone to help me with that. Oh, which so means if I'm I just dependent. stuff it, then I'm fine on yes, my own. Or repress oh, it or okay. disconnect okay. from it. Right? So there's a lot here. Uh, Once again, we've created a bonus guide for our much appreciated supporters, this time for the spouses of avoidantly attached people. The exercise will help you understand the attachment challenges you're facing and then learn how to behave and cope with those in a way that builds your marriage up rather than depletes it or depleting it. And you can get this by becoming a patron of the Marriage Podcast for Smart People. We'll take a short break here to tell you more about that. What happens when the fairy tale marriage meets reality? Too often, high expectations lead to disappointment, communication breaks down, and the struggles of day-to-day life become overwhelming, leaving you feeling lost and without hope. Unfortunately, marriage does not come with an instruction manual. Marriage troubles are deeply personal and can take a toll on you, your spouse, and your family. Counseling can be expensive, and divorce is very costly. It doesn't have to be this way. 
Caleb and Valinda understand your pain and frustration. Their mission is to help save as many marriages as possible. And to date, thousands of couples are helped through their weekly podcast. But the most important marriage they want to help save is yours. With a minimum of a $10 investment a month, you gain access to exclusive bonus content and valuable information to help you succeed in your own marriage. Learn more about saving marriages and how you can help at OYF.support. That's OYF.support. You're listening to the Marriage Podcast for Smart People. Before the break, we we're talking about how avoidance have this strong disposition towards functioning independently. Okay, that was really kiki. That was? Avoidance have this strong disposition towards functioning independently. For the break, we were talking about how avoidance really like to be independent. Yep. Does that work? Yep. Good. So it's interesting to note that you'll often find avoidantly attached people in litigation, in scientific fields, or those kinds of occupations where avoiding the feelings of others can be beneficial, even. Or where performance is not based on group effort. Oh, that's just common sense. Well, neither of us were a huge fan of group projects. No. Maybe I'm avoidant. Oh, I don't think so. We'll see what we think anyways. Yeah. On the spiritual side, they'll often seem to have difficulty experiencing warmth, intimacy, or closeness with God. They may see God as distant or impersonal or generally uncaring. Hmm. Okay. And this kind of info is just helpful to note that their avoidant attachment isn't something that singles out their spouse for special treatment, but it's a pattern of avoiding deep connection across all significant relationships. Mm, I see. Okay. It's not, Yeah. yeah, it's helpful not to feel it so personally. Yes. Gotcha. Now, often what avoided adults experienced from parenting when they were children was a certain level of unresponsive behavior from their parents towards their distress or towards their need for comfort. And this can happen on a scale from mild and continuous unresponsive behaviors through to more severe forms of just outright neglect. Okay. So, for example, some, for some, their parents may have been unresponsive when the children were distressed or in need of comfort. Right. So think back to what I was saying about activating the attachment system in the brain. Those moments when the child feels the need to reach out to be affirmed that the parent is available and that the parent is safe or the parent is responsive. If the Mm -hmm. child experiences rejection in those moments when they need reaffirmation due to being emotionally upset, the child will learn to suppress their emotional neediness. Okay. Now, the rejection can look like, don't be silly, stop acting that way. Mm. So even though you've responded. You're rejecting their emotionality. Okay. Maybe because you're uncomfortable with it as a parent, or maybe because you grew up with parents who, who like mm-hmm. be a be a you know don't uh, be a man, don't cry kind of messaging okay. could yeah. be it. Or sometimes the rejection may not be intentional. It could be like the the kids are growing up in a home with a mom who's very sick mm-hmm. or who has her own mental illness, and she just is not able to respond mm-hmm. well, right? Mm-hmm. But the child's basically they're looking for affirmation or reaffirmation when they're distressed but they experience some kind of rejection. And so that, the natural desire, that neediness, if I can call that, it has to be put aside when they're frightened or in distress or in pain. Because then, at least if they're not upset, they can be close to their parent physically. So it's like their parents so didn't always... if they're always, rejected if they are upset, yeah. then they stuff that upsetness. Because when you're not upset, you can be close to your closer to your parent. You can be around your parent. Mm. You're not driven away. Okay, okay. Right? So, so then what this young child is learning is I'll put my distress away so that I can be near you. Because being near you is better. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Because then you get some feeling of closeness, even though you never get seen. Mm-hmm. And you, at the same time, you're learning that being seen is not great. Right. Well, being seen when you're upset is definitely not yeah. great. 
And sometimes when you see children who've developed this attachment style uh, functioning as children in around their parents, they actually will often, they'll, they'll sort of back towards their parents if they need something from their parents. Like physically, they'll move towards them backwards because the, the face on full, like the intimate towards you face-to-face neediness mm. is too much maybe for the parent or something. So they'll back up toward the parent. Really? Yeah. Huh. It actually comes out physically sometimes. Yeah. Because what the child has learned from repeated painful interactions with their attachment figures is that their distress leads to rejection or to punishment. So by not outwardly expressing feelings, they can at least partially gratify one of their attachment needs, which is to remain physically close to the parent. Okay. So some of these children learn to rely heavily on self-soothing, on self-nurturing behaviors. They learn to appear very independent, to not need support from others. And later on in life, this can translate into not seeking authentic, vulnerable intimacy in marriage. It's easier to stay a little bit hidden. Yep. Okay. Yep. Okay. And just to be more independent. Yeah. So how do you change that? Like we talked about how to shift to secure when you're anxiously attached last week. So how do you shift to secure when you're avoidantly attached? Okay. Like it's not just self-soothing here. Yeah. No, it's not. And if you're listening and you realize, okay, you know what? I think I'm avoidantly attached, right? So your spouse, they might be anything from content with the marriage, but kind of wishing for more of a connection with you Mm -hmm. all the way through to being highly distressed and feeling very rejected because you really have sent the signal you don't need them. Okay. But you can change that attachment style. And again, there's ways to work on yourself as an individual and then things you can work on as a couple here. So on the on the work on uh, together side, we'll start there this time. Mm-hmm. We, we do have a lot more content on that part in our bonus um, content for this episode. But one of the first things you'll want to do is to own how this attachment style shows up in your marriage. Knowing that this is what happens and owning that and being willing to face it and to work on it together is a huge gift to your spouse. And this might be more of a challenge for the person who's avoidantly attached because this represents a weakness. Well, this also, you have to face it and you don't have the opportunity to avoid it. Right. Like it's completely going against what you're feeling like you want to do. So it takes a a lot of courage, right? Yeah. But one of the first things you can work on together is really thinking about we instead of me and you. Like I'm doing this and you're doing that. Okay. If you're avoidant, you can just start prompting yourself to think about things in your marriage interdependently rather than independently. And think less about doing things efficiently, more about doing things together. You can invite your spouse to gently call you out on this as well. It may be a very useful barometer on when the independence is trumping connection, right? So I often think back to this to the days when we were dating where, you know, I... I functioned in my mind quite independently and I thought that you would function equally independently. Mm, Yes, yes. Like the getting off the ferry incident, right? Yeah. So initially it made sense, but there was no concept of we in that. Like it it was absent, Yeah. right? So this is one of the challenges for folks like myself that find ourselves here is to really kind of compel ourselves to go the we route rather than just you're doing that and I'm doing this kind of thing. Yeah. And... And then the next thing is, as you begin to experience more connection, is to notice what that feels like. It feels better. There's warmth there. There's a deeper joy. So this is now letting yourself feel the vulnerable emotion of love. Not just knowing that you love someone, but feeling it. Okay. Too. Okay. And then another thing to work on together, of course, is cultivating emotional intimacy. You can invite your spouse to ask you what you're thinking or what you're feeling. You can urge yourself to share more vulnerably with your spouse as well, knowing that they're a safe person. Right. Yeah. That's how you make yourself more comfortable with vulnerability. You try it with someone who's safe that you can trust. And you start to disconfirm the idea in yourself that when you're distressed, your attachment figure, your spouse will reject or punish you or somehow see you as being less than because you showed that distress. Right. Because you showed that you were afraid or scared or sad. 
So once you can be accepted by your spouse from showing emotions, that will then carry over into other relationships. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Well, it, it, well yeah, to a large degree. But I'm just saying in your marriage, once you see them respond to that uh, negative emotion differently than your parents did as a kid. Oh, that's what you mean. Okay. Then you can shift to more of a secure attachment style in your marriage. Okay. And it becomes okay. safer to show up and be seen. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that'll probably spill over into other relationships too, but those you want No, wanna... but I see what you're saying now. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And then things to work on yourself. Uh, for yourself, it becomes important to learn to accept your spouse for who they are. Sometimes when you're avoidant, you can build a case against your spouse to justify the distance between you in order to support your comfort with avoidance. Like these are the things wrong with my spouse. So therefore I'm, you know, I'm just going to stay away. When you challenge yourself to accept and appreciate your spouse more deeply, it puts you back into a much better position for developing closeness and fostering connection. Mm-hmm. So that you can almost have like a, uh, I don't know if I call it a low, like Gottman talks about avoiding low level irritability, like guys holding that. I think this is oh. part of what is in here because that, that helps you warrant or justify the distance, the avoidance. So talk about it. Yeah. Rather than having to deal with it, which requires you to face the fact that you're upset, to show your spouse that you're upset and actually confront something. Mm, Okay. Okay. Sometimes in this attachment style, it's hard to know how to be close to your spouse because you've been conditioned towards independence. And it might sound odd, but you can try activating your attachment system by thinking about losing your spouse and the devastation you would feel. That sort of punch in the gut feeling is often followed by a desire to be close to your spouse right? Loss. Oh, I need to like make sure they're there, right? Okay. To make sure they're safe and available to make sure that they feel cared for. Now that when you see yourself respond and reach out for connection, can you kind of capture that moment and just think about how you can demonstrate more of that reaching out for connection? Okay. As if you might've lost them, but without having to force yourself through the traumatic thought. You know what I mean? (laughs) Okay. But just go with that like gut feeling. Yeah. That yeah. you want to be with them. And and it's almost like if you're avoidantly connected, you might almost want to push yourself to the far end of the spectrum. Think about how you could foster anxious attachment in yourself. And try try like a little of that so that you land somewhere in the middle. Because between being avoidantly attached, which is super independent, and anxiously mm-hmm. attached, which is where I need to check and see if you're available all the time, is secure attachment in the middle. Okay. It's kind of a bit of a... St- a bit of a spectrum, right? So as you reach for the uncertainty of connection, it compels you to step away from the I don't need anyone, I'm an island unto myself position and towards some interdependence. And then the idea of I need you and you need me. And that's actually good. That's okay. That's healthy. Okay. So like, is there actually healing here or do you just reach for anxious attachment and hope you land somewhere in the middle? No, 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 no. There is. Yeah. Like with, with that and with the, the learning to be vulnerable and then that succeeding, it begins to undermine the idea that you can't share your distress with you your spouse. You can or cannot. It undermines the idea that you can't share it. Oh, so it teaches you that you can't. That you can. <laughs> okay. okay. And even when you share your distress and when you see your spouse respond in a positive available, nurturing way, then it's like, oh, so this is okay. Oh, okay. Yeah. That kind of makes sense. Yeah, I think so. So it's almost like you have to disconfirm what you learned in childhood is mostly what you're doing here. Okay. Okay. But you don't have to swing the other way. Like you can find healing and stop in the middle. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Alrighty. Well, I think that's it for avoidant attachment. Yes. So we want to thank those of you who became patrons between this recording and our previous one. We had Michael and we had Jamie. So thank you for supporting us. Thank you for being generous with your resources so that we can help people with ours. Oh, and we have another iTunes review. 
If you yeah. want to make my day, anybody, just leave us an iTunes review. Well, this one's from Canada too. Five stars from Trisha Seventy. Raw and authentic teaching. My husband and I just recently started listening to the podcast because our marriage of 30 years hit some rocky roads due to some major family crisis and empty nesting. I can't say enough how each episode relates and challenges us to do more for us. I'm so very excited to keep going and grow our marriage to greater heights. Thank you. That's awesome. Yeah. Empty nesting is a big deal. Yeah. Yeah. And a family crisis. We know what family crises are, eh? Yeah. They're not fun. But way to turn it around and make it a growth time. Trisha 70. Next week, we're talking about... Uh, Disorganized attachment in marriage, which can be its own unique style or a blend of dismissive and anxious, Mm -hmm. even. It sounds a little bit overwhelming even before I get there. But that is all for today's episode. We'll figure it out. You can get the full show notes at oif.link slash 252. Find out how you can help. Go to oif.support. Thanks, and we'll see you next week. The Marriage Podcast for Smart People is totally funded by listeners who support Caleb and Valinda in their mission to save marriages. If you would like to be part of this worthy cause, open your web browser to oyf.support. A minimum investment of $10 per month will help restore hope to married couples. Plus, as a patron, you'll gain access to exclusive bonus content and valuable information to help you succeed in your own marriage. Go to the website oyf.support now for more information. Thanks for listening to the Marriage Podcast for Smart People from Only You Forever.